You're listening to Life in the A-Zone podcast. I'm Peggy Sweeney McDonald, and these are my stories of moving back to my hometown in Louisiana after 36 years to live with my father and mother when she was diagnosed with Alzheimer's. These lessons of love, laughter, life, and loss are gifts of living in the A-Zone, and I'm honored to share them with you. If this is your first time here, begin the journey with Episode 1 and go forward. Thank you for joining me today. I'm going to meet Mom and Dad for dinner on Friday night, my sister Erin tells me over the phone. It's her designated weekend with them and is the last weekend before we move my mother into the memory care facility on Sunday. I really want them to be with me on Friday night. I'm doing the Meanwhile Back at Cafe Dumont show for the Louisiana Marathon kickoff, and it'll be the last time Mom sees it, and she always enjoys it. I really want Mom and Dad to be there, I tell her. Okay, then I'll pick her up on Saturday morning and then have them over Saturday night for dinner, Erin replies. She gets it. I hang up my cell phone, and the realization that this is our last weekend with Mom hits me. The grand plan is for Shannon and Rob to deliver Mom on Sunday morning to her new life in the memory care unit at Assisted Living. On Saturday, we'll all move her things into her new room while she is with Aaron. It makes me sick to think about it. I have done everything I can to avoid thinking of this moment. Even packing her things has been a mental distraction. I will not give up having her with me on Friday night for my show, period. End of discussion. Meanwhile, back at Café Dumont is the food monologue show I created back in 2010. I produced the show across the country in restaurants and event venues. In 2012, I had a coffee table book published by Pelican Publishing with 67 of the food stories from the people who participated in the early shows. The show and the book were my focus for many years. But for the past few years, I've only produced the show for special events, such as the marathon this upcoming weekend. My parents have been part of the show since I first had the idea, and they have been there for almost every show in Louisiana. I stayed with them for four months back in the fall of 2012 when the book debuted, as I had countless interviews and book events across the South during that time. It's important for me for Mom to be there in the audience on Friday night when the sponsors of the marathon share their food stories. The show will end with a jazz band playing on stage, and I know she will love it. My parents are my biggest fans. They are both fabulous storytellers. I definitely inherited the storytelling gene from them. However, the need for performing probably began the day my dad received the Music Man album in the mail as part of his new record club. He played it on the stereo console, and I soon learned every song. At five years old, I would stand on the living room coffee table singing, Gary, Indiana, Gary, Indiana, at the top of my lungs. With two little sisters at that time, it was my way of saying, Look at me, watch me shine. Soon my mom enrolled me in dance class, and I loved every minute. 
I remember her making my costumes for my first dance recital. It was a ballet hula dance, and I had a pink hula outfit with a pink plastic lei. From the moment I stepped onto the stage in the spotlight, shaking my hips, I was addicted to performing. At my yearly dance recitals, Mom was always backstage doing my makeup and hair, dressing me in a sparkly costume, sending me off with a big kiss saying, I'm so proud of you, Peggy, before she scurried to her seat in the front row, joining my dad, who captured it all with his movie camera. After there would be flowers, cards, and gifts, followed by a stop at Krispy Kreme for chocolate ice donuts or Shoney's Big Boy for chocolate cake layered with vanilla ice cream with chocolate sauce, whipped cream, and a cherry on top for a treat. In 10th grade, I wore mom's old wool suit with a matching hat to play a pushy stage mother in a play called A Date with Judy. My mother laughed hysterically watching my performance and the audience followed along. I was hooked on theater acting and loved all my theater buddies. The years of drama classes and dance recitals led me to getting a degree in speech and drama from LSU. After graduating, I followed a boyfriend to Houston where I promptly qualified for my Screen Actors Guild card by getting cast in a commercial for a fried chicken chain. I was the girl behind the counter with the big welcoming smile. Welcome to hearts, I said over and over again to the camera. Years of doing commercials, industrial films, and print work led me to New York City, where I struggled doing some commercial work and off-off-Broadway while working at law firms. When I was cast as a mom in a Burger King commercial, my parents just happened to be in New York visiting me and were able to come to the set to watch me bite continuously into a Whopper with smiling eyes. They also saw the bucket at my feet to spit into after each bite the reality behind the glamour. It had been years since I auditioned for anything as I had transitioned into meeting and event producing in Los Angeles when I created my own event, the Meanwhile Back at Cafe Dumont show, after being inspired by my friend Lisa's coconut pie and a bottle of wine story over Thanksgiving in 2009. The show has been done across the country, with over 400 people sharing their life stories about food, including 46th graders at a charter school in Los Angeles. My friend Heather, who produces the Louisiana Marathon, had seen the Meanwhile Back at Café du Monde show the year before and asked me to produce it for the marathon kickoff event this weekend. On Friday, Mom, Dad, Jimmy, and I arrive early to the convention center, where a stage is set up on the edge of the marathon trade show. Soon, I'm on stage checking the microphones with the stage crew after setting up a table on stage with the Café du Monde mugs, napkin holder, and, of course, a plate of beignets. The Little Pillows of Decadence, or Fried Dough Donuts, which I speak of in my opening monologue. The ones we have today are unfortunately not from Café du Monde, as I did not have time to drive to New Orleans. These beignets are from the next best thing, Coffee Call in Baton Rouge. Can I have one? Mom asked, standing at the edge of the stage, pointing at the beignets. She looks thin and a bit disheveled tonight, but I think she knows what's going on here. 
If you were to tell anyone here that we are placing my mother in a memory care assistant living facility in two days for Alzheimer's, they probably wouldn't believe it. Sure, Mom. And I hand her a beignet and a napkin. As I meet with the storytellers on stage, giving them the lineup, I look down and I see my mom sitting there eating her beignet. She looks like a little child, smiling at everyone while the powdered sugar lands on her lap. Dad leans over and brushes it off her black pants, and she gives him a bite. I open the show with my food story, then introduce the others. Their stories are funny and touching. Mom loves every minute. She's always loved this show. She's loved anything that I did creatively. How will I continue to be creative without her love and support? I just don't know. After the show, everyone mingles while I sign books for the audience members who purchase from a local bookseller who has a table set up in the back. I give the storytellers a signed book as a token of my appreciation. One of the storytellers, Uncle Larry, has his Louisiana stew and a few products for sale, and we purchase some to take home. His lovely Cajun wife and sisters are there. They're fun-loving and gracious to us. They rave about the show and are proud of Larry, and they ask me to sign their books for them. Mom loves meeting them. I show them her recipe in the book for corn mock shoe, and she signs her name under the recipe. My photographer, Troy Kleinpeter, who's taken pictures of every show and for the book, is here tonight and snaps a few of us with Larry and his family. He then takes pictures of just my parents and me on the stage. The convention center security tells us we need to leave as they are locking up for the night. We are the last ones to walk out of the convention center. Jimmy has moved the car to the entrance, and we walk out the front door with my dad carrying my box of leftover unsold books. Y'all want to go get dinner? I ask them. Sure, where do you want to go? Dad says. Let's go check out White Star Market. We head to the new local gourmet food court venue. Dad and Mom decide to get pizza while Jimmy and I order tacos with chips and salsa from local celebrity chef Jada Cody's Government Tacos. We meet at the big community table in the middle of the room and share our food. This is the last supper, I think. A lifetime of going out to dinner with my parents. And this is how it ends, with tacos and a pizza. It seems so uneventful. As we head home, Mom and I are sitting in the back seat together, holding hands. My foot touches the white paper bag of leftover beignets from the show. I reach down and pick up the bag. Want a beignet, Mom? Sure, she says. The beignets are pretty much crushed in the bag, damp from the humidity, and limp with the weight of the powdered sugar. But they are still good enough to eat. I never met a beignet. I couldn't eat. Mom and I sit in the back seat of the car, eating our beignets, getting powdered sugar all over ourselves in the car seat. This will be the last beignet I eat with my mom. We devour the soggy beignets and then lick our fingers. Yummy, I say. Delicious, she says. <laughs> we laugh. My mom started saying lalicious instead of delicious a few years ago. It drives my sisters crazy. 
I think it's perfect, especially for these stale beignets. I want to hold on to every precious moment with her. Every lalicious moment. <laughs> I want to remember sitting in the back of our Toyota Corolla, eating our beignets and licking our fingers. I don't want this moment to end, and I don't want to ever forget this night with my mother. If life is delicious, the perfect word is lalicious. She pronounces it lalicious, as in Louisiana delicious. Lalicious or lalicious, it doesn't matter because life is short and we need to remember how frickin' delicious it is. It's Saturday morning. Aaron has already picked up mom, so Jimmy and I drive over to the assisted living with our car loaded down with mom's clothes in the secret suitcases and bags of framed pictures. We are welcomed by a sweet older woman at the front lobby. She explains the protocol. We are to sign in and out each time we visit. She gives us the room number and the secret code for the memory care unit. Rolling the suitcases down the hall, we pass through the dining room of the regular assisted living. A few older residents sit at their tables talking as the workers clear away the breakfast dishes. I wish my mother could be in this section. We punch in the secret code and walk down a long hall looking for mom's room number, passing the dining area and we see a few residents asleep in their wheelchairs. Others are sitting in an alcove in big chairs and watching a woman lead them in a game. She throws the ball to them and they catch. Some laugh. Some just stare ahead. Another friendly caretaker sits at a table with an older woman and they color in adult coloring books with colored markers. She plays oldies but goodies music from her phone and she sings along. Mom will like her, I think. We pass a counter and a woman standing behind it introduces herself to us, then points down the hall towards Mom's room. We find my brother-in-law, Scott, and my nephew, Duncan, busy hanging large framed artwork. Shannon and Rob had already delivered the furniture earlier this morning. My other brother-in-law arrives to set up Mom's television. Two days ago, we unhooked the small TV in the kitchen to bring for Mom. A maintenance man comes to hook up the cable. It's a group effort to make Mom's new space a home. Jimmy and I unzip the suitcases, and I begin unpacking her clothes, hanging shirts, pants, jackets in the closet, and placing underwear, nightgowns, and sweaters in her dresser drawers. Jimmy places the framed pictures on the dresser and end tables. Kelly arrives with the brand-new expensive-looking bedding, and we make the bed. The new bedding is a pretty dusty pink with matching pillow shams. She brought brand new sheets and towels, too, all in the same dusty pink color. Mom will love this. The chenille bedspread reminds me of the one Nanny used to have when we were kids, I tell her. I know, that's why I bought it, Kelly says. We barely look at each other as we are both ready to cry. This seems unreal. The last thing I do is pull out a little red plastic bird that Mom and I bought at Dollar Tree a year ago. I place it on the windowsill. Soon the sun activates the solar panel and the wings begin to flap. 
I hope this will bring mom some comfort. She loved this little dollar bird that for the last few years sat on the kitchen windowsill, flapping its wings in the sunlight. I need a shot of sunlight to make me feel alive again as I am just numb. We are going through the motions and nobody talks about what's really going on here. We are preparing mom for her new life of being caged in. She will never flap her wings again. There will be no sunlight to activate her spirit. The room is complete. It looks lovely. Our work is done. I think about how mom has told dad over and over that she wanted to move away and get her own apartment. Will she like having her own studio apartment or will it be a prison cell? Will her mind even know the difference? Thank you in advance for taking care of my mother. I tell every one of the caretakers we meet. They smile and try to make us feel comfortable in our awkwardness. We each get a key to the room from the woman at the front desk as we sign out. She notices my tears. It's going to be okay. I know it's hard, but we will take good care of your mother here. It's best if you all stay away for a couple of weeks so that your mom has time to adjust. I nod my head, but I can't answer as I know I will start crying. The lump in my throat is huge. Jimmy and I walk to the car and he puts the key to mom's room on our key ring. Do you want to go get lunch? He says. I lean my head against the window and begin to sob. So he just starts the car and drives home. I slept all afternoon, waking up when mom and dad were ready to go to errands for dinner. Our Saturday night date night consisted of me laying on the sofa downstairs, watching my TV shows while Jimmy was upstairs watching his. I found leftovers in the fridge to zap in the microwave. We both took our trays of food to our TVs. We didn't talk about it because we knew I would cry. On Sunday morning, we act like it's a regular Sunday. Mom and Dad are already awake drinking coffee in the living room when I came down in my robe. I grab my coffee from the kitchen and walk around the living room, opening the blinds. We need sunshine on this heartbreaking day. I join my mom on the old green sofa. I turn the TV on and we mindlessly watched it. After I finish my coffee, I lay my head down on mom's lap. I knew at any moment Shannon and Rob would walk in to take mom away. Mom strokes my hair. We don't talk. I hear their car pull into the driveway. And moments later, as the back door opens, I sit up. Shannon and Rob walk in. You ready, Mom? Let's go get some breakfast, Shannon tells her. Okay, she says, while Shannon takes her hands and pulls her up from the sofa. See you later, Dad, Shannon tells Dad as she passes him. He is sitting stoically in his chair. And just like that, my mother is gone. I think I'm going to go blow leaves from the deck, my dad tells me, and he gets up and walks out of the house. I lay down on the sofa and roll over so my face is in the old green pillows. I cry my heart out. Soon the leaf blower is drowning out my sobs. An hour later, the phone rings. 
I pick it up in the living room and Dad picks it up from the kitchen. Well, it's done. I just did the one thing Mom told me would be the worst thing we could ever do to her, Shannon says through her tears. I'm so sorry, Shannon. Thank you, I tell her. The welcoming committee of two friendly caretakers met my mom and escorted her to the room with Shannon and Rob following behind them. They distracted mom by chit-chatting about everything and nothing. Once in her room, Shannon, my strong sister, stepped forward to drop the bomb. Mom was on one side of the bed and Shannon was on the other. Mom, look at me, Shannon said. Do you know how you have been worried about your memory? Well, this is a great place, Mom, that's going to help you with it. You trust me, right, Mom? You need to trust me. Is this forever? Mom asked. No, Mom, it's just for now, Shannon told her. And Mom believed her. We all want to believe, Shannon. This is just for now, right? Dad, my sisters, me, and even Shannon herself, we all want to believe that by some miracle, our mother will get better. Our mother will get well. We want to believe that our mother will come home again. Thank you for joining me for Life in the A-Zone. Look for new episodes each Wednesday. Please share, subscribe, like, comment, and follow on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter. To join my mailing list, go to lifeinthea-zone.com and check out my best-selling book, Meanwhile, back at Cafe Dumont, Life Stories About Food, at Amazon and Barnes & Noble.